The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. And investigate we will. (laughs) Welcome all you guys. Guys and gals out there, if you tuned in today, you're sitting there listening to this, uh, you are going to have an exciting hour because uh, this, no matter what we do as we crack this wonderful book open uh, called Alcoholics Anonymous, affectionately known as The Big Look, um, just uh, some great stuff comes out of this thing, uh, really a, a guide for living uh, that is it's hard to compare with. And uh, I know in the crazy world that we live in today and all the stuff going on, I mean, to tell you, it is a comfort to know that we don't have to drink. We don't have to use. We don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. But there, there is a, a method that has been proven. I've tried and proven it. Uh, Chris has tried and proven it. Um, that seems to work the best. And we're here to uh, walk you through the big book. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great this week, Monty. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Good. It's it's a good good week to be uh sober. My 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 uh my, I think I may have talked about it last week. My my acupuncture thing seems to be working pretty good. <clears throat> so, um hey, if my back's happy, I'm pretty happy. No, that's a good thing. <laughs> I I've, I've been uh plagued with lower back problems uh, probably my whole life. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, it flares up, and I, I know I know what that feels like. So uh, it, it's it's been a successful thing, and, and I'm going to continue to work on that. And and uh, see here, she's a really great gal, and uh, she uh, her son's in uh, in the program, and I did not did not know that. Um, so you know, we're everywhere, aren't we? <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I, I can't go into a store 200 miles from here without bumping into somebody. I know. Well, where are we at in our uh, episode today of Walking Through the Big Book? Well, we're rolling into week four, uh, covering the chapter working with others. And, you know, we're really taking our time uh, because we don't want to miss anything here. Uh, I've said on previous shows I think this is one of the most overlooked uh, chapters in this book. It's a real, really good guide in how to sponsor and how to help other alcoholics. And it just generally seems to be almost ignored in the current uh, 12-step fellowships these days. Mm-hmm. And and I think um, I think the recovery rate in those fellowships are suffering because of that. Sure, I agree. And I, in fact, I mentioned the other day, uh, we were talking, I don't remember what the topic was, but it came around to it. Uh, in a meeting, I, I mentioned, I think, you know, 
Um, oh, I know. Somebody was frustrated because uh, certain people keep going in and out, in and out. And, and I made mention something that you had said. I said, you know, maybe it's not always their deal. Maybe it's what we're teaching here. If we're not teaching what's in this book, what do you expect? <laughs> I got some. I got some interesting looks. Oh, that does not always make you the most popular person in the meeting, does it, Mike? No, no, it doesn't. And the more I do this radio thing, particularly this show, I think more of a wiseacre they think I've been coming. I'll tell you what, though. What you said is true. Yeah. It, you know, it get, it goes against uh, it goes against uh, you know current beliefs and current practices. But what you said is true. I you know I believe uh, I believe that this is an illness. Uh, if the American Medical Society says it's a disease, I believe it's a disease. And I I, I believe that there are uh, there are certain things that has to have have to happen for someone to be able to recover. I think the recovery comes on the spiritual plane. And there are, there are two ways that somebody doesn't get it. One way is if they never hear the message. Mm-hmm. And the other is if they hear the message and choose to ignore it. Now, now I feel sorry for the people who never hear the message, yeah. because they're never given a chance. At least the people who hear the message are, are at least given an option. Hey, participate in your recovery in this way. And rarely have we seen a person fail, you know. Um, uh, uh, but but to to be uh, to be in groups, uh, you know, uh, week after month after year, where very little of the solution is discussed. It's more about you know updating everybody on, you know, what's going on in your life, uh, you know, and <laughs> the, 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 the 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 bad the crazy thinking you have and the problems you're having with people. Uh, I mean, you know, that that's a far cry from offering somebody uh, a solution and a message of depth and weight. And, you know, there are, there are some people who, who bring that up in certain, uh, certain uh, uh, support groups, uh, bring, bring up the solution. And a lot of times they're, they're considered heretical, you know. There's, there's a mm-hmm. heretic among us. There's mm-hmm. a big book Nazi. <laughs> you know, and and uh, I, I've got to tell you, some of the people that were the most significant people as far as uh, setting me up for the changes in my life that I needed to be able to recover, it, were, it was those people who stepped out, uh, you know, stepped into the deep water a little bit and weren't afraid uh, to hurt my feelings with the truth. Yeah, yeah, and you, you know, the very first person that I ever had on the show, his name was Juan O., and he learned how to read by reading this book. He he did not know English. Uh, he he uh, his, had his first drink uh, as a migrant worker at I think it was 13 years of age. Woke up out of years of blackout in an AA meeting. So he became uh, very passionate about this program. And so of course everybody labeled him a big book thumper. And so they said, well Juan's a big book thumper. And Juan always says, well how would you rather be thumped? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the one of the very first people I, I started working with. This is like sixteen, seventeen years ago. Uh, he couldn't read either. I mean, he he came out of his addiction and his alcoholism on something like forty Percocets a day, and you know, a gallon of whiskey. I mean, this guy wow. this guy was a was a construction worker, and he had a, a contracting crew, and his life was in complete insanity. 
and he just he couldn't read. He, he didn't have the capacity. His mind couldn't focus. And I remember I read him this book, and I got a chance to hear him speak a couple of nights ago. And he he's got 16 years now, and he's the largest he's the largest uh, mason contractor in New Jersey right now. He you know he he's he he's building a new hospital at the place where he went for inpatient. <laughs> you can't go from one place to can you imagine like like shaking yourself dry in the in the in the psych ward of a hospital and 16 years later you're such a successful contractor that you're building their new hospital. You know? <laughs> and I, I got a chance to, to to hear him speak. Now now he's somebody I had to read this stuff to. And as we were reading when we came to an instruction we would stop and you know to the best of our ability we would we would do that, and uh, and he got through that, and he's still around. Now the people who didn't get through it, you know, I, most of them are gone. It's very, very, you know, one of the crazy things you hear is, it's, um, you know, it's it's easier to stay sober than it is to get sober. I've got to tell you, I think that's wrong. I think it's easier. It's it's harder to stay because so few people do it. How many people do you personally know, Monty, with 30 years? Not very many, my friend. Not very many. How no. many people do you know with less than 10? Many. Many. Most of the people I know. Okay. <laughs> so I pr that proves my point. It's hard to stay. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I, think, I think you get the power to stay by working... Uh, a really strong program. I, I believe. I believe lack of power is our dilemma. The book says lack of power is our dilemma. Well, how, how do we get that power? You know, how do we find that power? We find that power through doing these spiritual exercises in this book. Once you have the power, now you have a way to manage your life. You know, you've got. You know, you've 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 got the power of God working through you. And now, it, you know, if you want to stay, you will. If you don't go through this work and all you do is sit around in meetings uh, and participate in the gab session and, and drink the coffee, I don't think there's going to be enough uh, enough power to keep you in decade after decade. I just don't believe that that's mm -hmm. going to happen. And if you're a real alcoholic, like this book talks about, if you don't go through these steps, there's little chance that you're going to stay sober very long at all. I don't care how many meetings you're going to. I don't care how much coffee you're making. I don't care how many rehab commitments you're doing. You're not doing the spiritual work that's going to transform you to the point where you are not blocked from God and blocked from the Spirit anymore. So altruism is not, left to itself, is not going to keep you sober. I, I think by completely inundating yourself with service and meetings, you can create a period of sobriety. And you might even believe that that's recovery. Uh, but, but that only lasts as long as the participation. And the participation only lasts as long as the enthusiasm for it. And the enthusiasm for it only lasts as long as you can stand hearing the same people saying the same stuff <laughs> year after decade, you know? know. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's got to there's be a bigger power at work, or, or else you're just, you're just going to become a statistic, especially if, if you're in real trouble with alcohol. Yeah. So we are at the bottom of page 100, uh, and it's it's going to start talking about how you can interact with uh, with your protege, 
uh, about domestic problems. Now, I don't know about you, Monty, but there's a lot of people, a lot of the people I know, when they get sober, they're in turmoil with their family. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're real, the relationships have dissolved. You know, everybody's mad. There's dysfunction and codependency all over the place, and it's a real mess. And all of a sudden, you come in. You're sitting over at the guy's house, your new your new protege, and you're you're taking him through the step. But there's also a bit of mentoring that you need to do, a bit of sober mentoring, and uh, and it, it explains uh, it, it explains a lot of the ways that we do that in this book. And this is one of the one of the ways that they're describing about uh, you know interacting with your protege's family. Uh-huh. If if you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without being critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your differences is, is worth any amount of criticism. Okay, we covered this paragraph uh, last week, but it's, it's important. This has got a great principle in it. And the principle is, is don't tell the person necessarily what to do in a situation that you may not have all the facts about. You know, you haven't lived in that house the last 20 years. He has. Tell him what you did and what worked for you. That's, a, that's much safer than, than judging the situation with half of the facts and saying you should go left and you should go right. It's much better to say, listen, when I went left, this happened, and when I went right, this happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. times that we need to do that as uh, as advisors or as sponsors also. Now, here here are some of uh, some of the the twelve step promises, and here here are, are, here is a, a bit of uh, a dialogue about freedom, about the freedom that we can expect. Monty, have you ever heard somebody share? You know, uh, uh, maybe they're several years sober, and they'll share something like, you know. There's a wedding coming up, or, or there, there's the, the annual Christmas party at my work, and I'm just not going to go because there's booze there. Oh, you yeah. know, and I just don't feel comfortable about booze. Yeah, I mean, you hear that all the time, don't sure. you? Sure, you bet you do. Okay, let's move through this. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said that we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid most moving pictures which show drinking scenes. <laughs> we must not go into bars. Our friends must hide the bottles if we're to go to their house. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. Okay. <clears throat> If somebody if somebody comes walking into your support group and says, you know, I was I was at a bar mitzvah the other day, and when they broke out the wine, I just I had a nervous breakdown and I had to get out of there. Okay. Mm-hmm. What this book is saying is, if you can't handle situations like that, there's step work you need to do. You don't double down on your meetings. What you do is you find out what which part of this step process have you skipped ignored or half measured because if you can't be around liquor without having negative reactions up to and including relapse there is something wrong with your spiritual status 
you haven't done what this book asks you to do. At least you haven't gotten the results that they promise you if you, uh, if you go through this work. Remember in step 10, it says the problem is removed. You know, we're, we're, we're safe and protected. Mm-hmm. If, if confronted with alcohol, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll react as if it's a hot flame. We're just, we're just not going to go near it. We're, we're going to think sanely and normally about it. Now, if that's not happening in your life, you're not at step 10. You've got work to do. So don't double down on your meetings. Find somebody to take you through the step. I uh, <laughs> want to interject here, too. It's interesting because people have asked me before, uh, have invited me to go play pool at a, at a club or something like that. And I've, I've declined, first of all, because I don't enjoy pool. <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah, that's, that's the, really, that's, that's the main reason. Um, but because my spiritual condition has changed, because I've, I've grown in a relationship with God, I just don't have a desire to be at that particular uh, establishment here in town. And, and it's not because I'm afraid of anything. You know, it, it, it's... How did I put this uh, the other day? Somebody was talking to me about it. I, I, um, if you're spiritually fit, you can go anywhere. But being spiritually fit may mean you don't want to go there. And that's absolutely fine. And that's basically yeah. what, what this book says. I mean, I don't go to drinking parties anymore. It, it's not because I'm f- afraid of drinking at them. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get stuck with some guy that's going to tell me the same story four times in a row. <laughs> I know. You, know. you know what I mean? It is very, very boring for me to be around drunk people. Now, let me ask you this, Chris. <clears throat> Playing devil's advocate here. I want to go back to the because this is a common, at least out here, this is a common statement. Well, <clears throat> I, because the big book says we see to fighting anything or anyone, including alcohol, um, I've started going to this one bar, and it's kind of seedy, but it's it's the only one in town that's got a pool table, and... And I've been going there on on a regular basis, and I I haven't had a problem drinking or anything. Um, and playing devil's advocate would say, because I've heard this too. All right, that's fine. One of the only pool table in town was at a heroin shooting gallery, and <laughs> you're not using heroin anymore. Would you go? Now, how would you address that? Well, you know. Uh, First of all, if I was given spiritual consent by the individual, in other words, if I'm his advisor or, or sponsor or you know, whatever the relationship is, if I've been given spiritual consent to be honest with him, I would basically say, I would basically say well, you know, how, you, you completed your amends. Uh, how, are you doing, uh, how are you doing with your 11th step at night? Are you doing upon awakening? Are you doing the evening review? How many alcoholics are you working with? You know, and I'll go, through, I'll go through basically the questions that you ask to see if someone is continuing to work a program in their life. If this is an individual with a strong program, I'm going to worry a lot less about what he does and where he goes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if it's if it's somebody who really hasn't made it to the fourth step yet, uh, you know, I'll basically I'll basically say, look, you're you know, <laughs> you know, you're you're out you're out of your mind. You know, Jonah did not go back into the whale because he left his hat there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what what is the matter with with you? <laughs> you, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'll be comfortable with you going to the pool hall 
to shoot pool because you're a good pool player when you get through the steps and when you've got a decent program. It basically it says in here that you know we need to look at our spiritual status. We need to look at what what our spiritual condition is at. If we don't have a good spiritual condition, then we then we're tempting fate. What what what, what we're doing is we don't have a clear understanding of the first step. Mm-hmm. You know, if we haven't gone through the steps and we're going back into the beer hall, we don't understand the first step. Mm-hmm. So you know, if I've been given spiritual consent, I'll be all over the guy. Yeah. If somebody is sharing this at a meeting, you know, I might, I might, you know, I might be a little bit more, uh, more, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like to, like to slam people in meetings. Uh, maybe I'll have a talk with his sponsor. Maybe I'll ask him if he has a sponsor, you know, something like that. But, um, but uh, truly, you know, the fact of the matter is, is you got to look at your motives and you have to look at mm-hmm. the fitness of your spiritual condition mm-hmm. before you can do these things. And that's basically what this book says. Yeah. It says here, yeah. his only chance of sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap, and even there an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle <laughs> of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant, distant places on the theory that he would escape the alcohol problem. You know, if, if access to alcohol was mm-hmm. our defense, in other words, we had to limit our access to alcohol, we'd all be drunk. Because Monty, only two miles from where I'm living right now, is a really cool pub. You know, and there's people sitting there at the bar right now watching watching the ball games and you know it, and and I can get in my car and I've got money and I can go down there you know yeah. so if access to alcohol is is your protection or your or even your defense you know you're in real trouble you, you need to get that defense and get that that power from uh from going through these steps yeah because let's face it let's face it and this even goes with for narcotics anymore chris if you want it, you can get it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just, you know, I could I could walk down the street before I even get halfway down the block down here. Um, I could pick up just about anything I want, quite literally. Uh, there's a park down here, and the police leave it alone, and there you go. And so, you know. You, I mean, agree, you agree with me. It's a, it's, it's a matter of spiritual condition. Absolutely. Not access. Yep. <clears throat> it says, in our belief, any scheme of combating a- alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation, is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So here's, here's a rule. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking. If we have a legitimate reason for being there. Notice that that's in uh, hyphenated font. Yeah. Okay. That's very important. Do not just read the first part of this sentence. Right. Uh, always, you know, always understand that the most important part of that sentence is if we have a legitimate reason for being there. I don't think a legitimate reason for being at the pool hall is, you know, to hang out with all your old buddies. Right. Uh, you know, that, that may not be a real sufficient reason because... I've got to tell you, uh, drinking friends, although there's a very small percentage that will that will still be friends of yours as you move into recovery, it's going to be a very small percentage. I, I think out of everybody I drank with, I think maybe two people I'm still in touch with, you know, mm-hmm. from, from mm-hmm. those drinking days. Mm-hmm. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain, ordinary old whoopee parties. Now, see, that one I take issue with. Because now, I, maybe it's because of my interpretation of 
good old ordinary whoopee party. So whoopee parties, to me, were for the purpose of getting intoxicated. Well, a whoopee, a whoopee party also could be, let's say you're, you, you're at work and, and you land a really big contract and everybody wants to celebrate, you know, because that's going to really make the business, uh, and everybody wants to celebrate. Okay. It's a whoopee party. That makes uh, sense. The, the same can be said for, uh, the same can be said for a bachelor party. I mean, you know, if you're a best man, uh, I've, I've had, I've been the best man, uh, twice in recovery and I had to, Put a whoopee party on, you know. They weren't all in, you know. They weren't all sober. I had to put a whoopee party on. Now, uh, <laughs> these, these are things that I don't do on a regular basis. Please understand. Yeah. But but you know, I put a, I put two bachelor parties on, and I, you know, I was safe and protected. I I did not drink. So I don't think that they mean you know the the local drinking parties like like the frat drinking parties you know continue to keep going to them okay i think that there is times in our life for celebration and you know to 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 cut ourselves off from those times of celebration is not what the book or the program are about you know we're about getting back out there in the world uh, but we're to do it you know in a rational way does that make any sense yep that makes sense okay um let's let's see um to a person who has had experience with an alcoholic this may seem like tempting providence but it isn't you will note that we made an important qualification therefore ask yourself here's an instruction ask yourself Mm -hmm. on each occasion have i any good social business or personal reason for going to this place or am i expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places, okay? Yeah. Vicarious pleasure is one thing. Uh, a good, legitimate reason is another. Now, when we're restored to sanity and we understand right from wrong, good from bad, we're going to be able to make the right decision. If you haven't gotten to the 10th step yet, if you have not been restored to sanity, you're not going to be. So I think, I think it's a good idea that, you know, if, if liquor is, is in the picture in front of you and you're working with somebody, cover that off before you go. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the first guys I was ever working with uh, ended up calling me in a panic at 2 in the morning. He was in Tijuana, Mexico. And what had happened was he had gone on a company company outing, and everybody had said, hey, you know, we're going out for a few drinks. Do you want to come? And he got trapped. He got trapped in Tijuana. And he called me up, and he goes, Chris, the last two hours I've had a big sombrero on with, with you know, with a guy with a big guitar, and, and everybody's going tequila. And I'm just saying, no tequila, no tequila. And they're spilling it on me. And, this guy had about six months. He goes, he goes. I'm out of my mind. I just had to call you, you know. You know, so, so like, like he hadn't gotten through uh, the steps yet. So, yeah. so this threw him into an emotional, you know, an emotional event that he very easily could have taken one of those tequilas. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he didn't. But again, I think uh, I think it's very easy to. Uh, to be able to gauge someone's spiritual condition on uh, on their progress through the steps, their motivation, and you know their reason for going, and you know, uh, are, are you really being honest? Do you really need to be there? Is it really a good idea for you to be there? Mm-hmm. If you answer these questions satisfactorily, 
satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in, in going is thoroughly good. Remember, Bill, Bill says something, uh, that if there's something important to say, Bill says it three times. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. Now, that's a principle, and that's a great principle to use more than on your social occasions. Mm-hmm. That's a great principle to use on your meeting attendance. Sure. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. I think recovery begins when someone is no longer going to the meetings to fill up like it's a spiritual gas station. Right. And they start going to meetings because they know there are people there they can help. I think that that's when recovery really starts to begin. I, I think you're right. And, you know, there was a time uh, that I, w- I would feel, gosh, you know, it, this this place seems so spiritually dry and and uh they're not they're not working with the book says and it's just awful and and you know what a, i feel oppressed and da 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 and and uh one of my good buddies <clears throat> who really gets this thing it just really gets this thing he says well what do you expect he says are you coming are you coming here to try to get spiritually fit coming to this meeting he said <laughs> You got to do this book to do that. Yeah, you, right. You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So then I, I was able to kind of get over that because, um, you know, if you're going to go where there's lots of darkness, and and let's face it, <clears throat> alcoholics that aren't working, uh, you know, aren't going through these steps, in my opinion, but keep doing uh, the same things over and over again without even cracking this book, are in a dark place. And a lot of times, Monty, they don't even know it. I know. They can have 10 or 20 years and, and think that you're a crackpot fanatic. You know, yeah. <laughs> they, they, have, they have no reference point because they've got, they're living in untreated alcoholism and they don't even know it. They think sobriety is the whole point. Right. Well, that, that happens everywhere. And another <laughs> thing that I see happen a lot is, let's say somebody's been slipping in and out for years and years and years and you take them through the steps. You get them through the steps, and then they go back to meetings, and they're really pissed off that nobody's talking about a, a solution, and they start to resent themselves out of the meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you have to sit them down and you have to tell them, "Look, <clears throat> you need to mature past this this fanatical fervor, and you need to you need to start thinking about what you can bring to that meeting instead of what you're expecting to get out of it." You know, exactly. Uh, and and that's a that's a that's a maturing uh, uh, thing that uh, hopefully some hopefully most people go through. And don't don't kid yourself, listeners. Don't kid yourself. If you're in that position and you think nobody's hearing you, I got to tell you, you very possibly could be wrong. There are people listening and hearing us uh, when we don't even know it. And you know, if you leave and you take off because people aren't doing things exactly like you think you should. You may be robbing somebody else of a blessing. If you've disturbed them about their alcoholism, that's all to the good. Remember yeah, that's that right. Principle. Um, but if you are shaky, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if if a situation is really making you shaky, does it say, you know, go go triple up on your meeting? No. No, it says go. you had better work with another alcoholic. Again, these are these are principles that people have really forgotten. 
if all you're if all you're doing is going to meetings and you're listening to the conventional wisdom in the meetings, I'm telling you right now that's not going to be enough for you if you're in real trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you really need to you really need to get involved in uh, in the recovery program and not expect to recover because you're attending uh, the fellowship. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly... Few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of the world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drank liquor. Your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. That's your main job in Step 12. Mm-hmm. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives, and God will keep you unharmed. That's a wonderful promise um, that we can go to the most sordid spot on earth. I've gone, I've gone into <laughs> drug dens, and you know, I've gone, I've gone into the projects. You have no idea how many times I've gone into some really, really rough places to help an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And and believe me, you know, I know in my heart I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to use. My motives are to go there to be of help. And uh, you know, uh, I I've done it. I I know what this promise is uh, is about. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. <clears throat> we often need it to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. There's somebody headed to my house, Monty. Uh, Sunday, uh, who, who uh, we're, we're probably going to have to help him manage his detox. Um, <clears throat> some of us still serve it to our friends, provided they are not alcoholic. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue these questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel that each family, in light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. There's no alcohol in the house that I'm living in right now. But every once in a while we'll pick up some wine or we'll pick up some beer if we're having a barbecue or something and we know some people are coming over and they like their wine or they like their beer with food. It's not, a, not an issue. I mean, I we don't keep it in the house because we don't drink it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I have a problem with it being in the house. Yeah, so for you it's like, it, it, it's like well, Aunt Margie, she likes onion dip and, and Uncle Fred, he likes clam, so we'll get some. And put, I mean, it's no different than that. It's a, it's an inanimate object, and it's a, it's a beverage. Uh, and most people, most people, at least from what I've seen with statistics, um, that that drink um, are temperate drinkers, and they don't have an issue with it. Yeah, only ten to say, you know, depending on the statistics you read, ten to fifteen percent of the people out there have the type of body that has an issue with metabolizing the alcohol mm-hmm. that throws them into an addictive cycle. For them, for them, you know, alcohol is a really bad idea. For other people, you know, I don't know what uh, what, what a moderate or temperate drink. I, I have no idea what their reaction to alcohol is because I was, I was alcoholic from drink one. But, you know, they seem to enjoy it, <laughs> you know. So why in the It's not evil in and, in and of itself. 
um, uh, the the reaction that happens with uh, with the alcoholic is a real problem, and you know needs you know needs to be addressed. But uh, but as far as you know banning alcohol or whatever, I mean, you know alcohol in, in itself is is not really not really the issue. It's alcohol right. misuse is the issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. <laughs> Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone. Every new alcoholic looks for this spirit among us and is in, in, immensely relieved when he finds that we are not witch burners. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose lives could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. I want to look at that sentence pretty closely. Now, you've, you've heard, I'm sure, over and over again, people say, well, you know, if somebody's ready, there's nothing you can do wrong. And if, if somebody's not ready, there's, there's nothing you can do right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things that you hear all the time. Sure. This sentence basically says, if we're stupid, we can cause somebody to die. Yeah. So I think it's incumbent upon us to learn what we can about this illness, about the recovery process, Get our own experience with this, and then use some good, good common sense when dealing with other people. Because if we're stupid or if we do it wrong, we can kill people. We won't be blamed on it. You know, they will. Everybody will say, he drank himself to death. But the fact of the matter uh, is, is that you, you could very easily, very easily, you could make a case for contributory manslaughter, you know, <laughs> by, by contributing to this guy's death because you're doing something stupid. Yeah. You know, we would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told anything about alcohol by one who hates it. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. But we shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers will not stand for it. Now, this is beautiful. After all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anything or anybody. We have to. I love that statement, and again, it's in hyphenated font. Mm-hmm. Our problems of our are of our own making, and bottles are only a symbol. The bottle is not the problem. We're the problem. But we've made the problem. You know, our alcoholism is the problem. Mm-hmm. I and I, I don't want to get off off track here, but I got to tell you, uh, this one part it says. Someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to a better realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. Um, you know, once again, once again, uh, these folks are ahead of their time. Um, someday we hope. You know, I hope that now. Because as we've talked before, lots of folks hide behind the misunderstood meaning of uh, anonymity. And many of us could be a lot more help to our public to better realize the gravity of the alcohol problem if we would understand what's in this book. Monty, I can't agree with you more. Anonymity does not mean secrecy. It, it, means, it means admitting that you're a member of a specific 12-step fellowship or speaking for that fellowship with a picture and a last name. Right. Okay. That is what the anonymity tradition is about. Many people like to hide behind anonymity and go underground, 
when they get sober. Mm-hmm. So, so picture the cops, picture the ER doctors, picture the judges. All they ever see are the alcoholics in the jackpots, okay? Mm-hmm. Very rarely does somebody with two or five or 15 or 20 years sober go, go up to those individuals and say, hey, I just want to tell you something. I've been sober all these years, and I just want you to know that treatment works and recovery works. You can stay sober. You know, that's, that's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If you ever want to have fair and equitable insurance payments for, for the treatment of alcoholism, if you ever want to, to, to remove the, the, the 60% of the people in the prison populations who are, who are there because of uh, property crimes or drug possessions, you know, feeding their addictions, if you ever want to do anything about those monstrously huge social issues, we need to put in front of everybody we can put in front of the fact that this is an illness this is treatable and recovery is possible and every single one of us should be shouting that from the rooftops and that is not an anonymity break right it's an anonymity break if you admit that you're a, a, a member in a specific 12-step fellowship in the in, in press radio tv or film right with right. your picture and last name yeah. So, so, so again, I am with you. Now, you know, we have a few minutes left. What I wanted to do, Monty, if it's all right with you, is this is this is a perfect segue from the end of step twelve here, and I want to read the spiritual experience, uh, uh, in the the appendix in the back of this book. Okay. Because having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all of our affairs. Let's look a little bit at spiritual experience or spiritual awakening. Uh, I'm not sure what page this is on. Uh, uh, I have a five, copy of a first edition here, yeah. and it's like page 569. Yeah, that's what I have. Okay. Uh, the terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. I love that. The personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. Uh, That's what we're looking for. That's what the doctor's opinion was saying was needed. And I think that's part of the spiritual awakening, having a personality change. And and people will see it, right? acting differently and we're thinking differently. So that's got to be a personality change. So, so Chris, don't you think that... For for those of us who've been around a bit and seen people come and go and so forth, that it will probably be more than obvious to us that the person's got a different personality. You know, I walked up. I was making amends to one of my ex bosses, and I walked up to him. And when he saw me, he 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 like gasped. He goes, "You're a young man." You know, it had been like four or five years since I'd seen him. I looked ten years younger than when he last saw me. And when I started to talk to him, it was like he was. He didn't even know who he was talking to. I had changed that much. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, uh, the the like it says here. These things manifest themselves among us in many different forms. But, you know, I'm not the same person. You're either going to grow or you're going to go. Nobody's just going to be able to stay around cranky. 
You know, that, mm-hmm. that's very rare that that happens. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't happen in the recovery fellowships, they're not alcoholics. They're heavy drinkers that can just tough it out. You know, yeah. the alcoholic is the type of person who can't tough out something like that. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. What happened upon the publication of the first uh, first printing of the big book? What happened was people who got the book and didn't have any exposure to the two groups were, were waiting for the white light experience that Bill talked about in his story. Where's my white light? Where's the wind of the Spirit blowing up me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, upon careful reading, you'll understand that the spiritual awakening is the result of the steps. People were thinking that you just got it, you know, because yeah. you wanted it. So one of the reasons for, uh, for, for doing this appendix is to, is to, you know, clear up some of those issues. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of us experience what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, mm-hmm. because they develop slowly over a period of time. So you can have rapid transformations, or you can have the educational variety that goes slowly over a period of time. Why do you think that is? Well, because <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, when we talk about sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, a lot of that has to do with some people work the steps <laughs> slowly, and some people work the steps quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in 100% agreement <laughs> with you. Okay, mine, ha- mine happened, uh, it, mine was the educational variety, because it took me about took me about a year and a half before I really started to, to work the step process. I mm-hmm. just didn't know any better. No one was telling me. I was in real trouble for the first year and a half. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could, be, could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. So here's another description of the spiritual awakening. It, it, it's a profound alteration in your reaction to life. That's one of the aspects or attributes of uh, a spiritual awakening. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspecting inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problem in light of our experience, what that means is anybody capable of getting through the step can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. 
one of the sad things I see uh, today in, in, in some uh, support groups is intolerance and belligerent denial when somebody is talking about uh, their own personal recovery process because it's not somebody else's experience because, you know, they, they did the don't drink and go to meetings thing Right. You know, they've they've got uh, uh, intolerance and belligerent denial to people who are speaking from their own experience about recovery. A lot of times they don't even realize they don't have a clue. You know, you yeah. couldn't convince these people they don't have a clue. They've been sponsoring people for 20 years. You know, how are they not going to have a clue? But But they don't have a clue. <laughs> we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness... Honesty and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. Now note the squiggly font. And here's a a Herbert Spencer quote. There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And, Monty, you and I investigate prior to contempt, correct? That's right. (laughs) <laughs> we try to do our best anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what we're trying to accomplish here uh, with uh, going through this, this wonderful book. Yeah. You know, another thing that I, I'd like to mention about spiritual awakening and spiritual experience, this is just my own, my own perspective on it. I, I think that we can have spiritual experiences um, every step we take, every good deed we do, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times you can have a, a spiritual experience, but that's finite. Okay, mm-hmm. spiritual awakening is on a much grander scale, and it truly is the awakening of one's divine inner spirit. Mm. And that really happens through the work, and it certainly happens with uh, a, a full-blown attempt at at seeking. God and trying to seek what God would have you be and do and praying and meditating to try to get closer to that power which uh, which you and I call God uh, that is keeping us safe from protecting and allowing us uh, the opportunity uh, and, and the power and direction to uh, to rebuild our lives yeah amen to that my friend <laughs> and and uh, just for you uh, listeners, for for your sake that don't really know, I always have fun with this, Chris. What what Amen really means? Well, modern day version of that would probably be right on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what it yeah. really means yeah. is that I, that I agree, and uh, I I certainly do agree. Uh, boy, this is great. Next week, we are on. Uh, we're going to be talking about the women folk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is that's a that's a great chapter it has some incredible information in it and uh there's a funny story about uh about the origin and the writing of that uh of that chapter that that i'll share uh i'll share with you next week money okay awesome that's great well my friends thank you for tuning in it's been another uh wonderful opportunity to for us to bring you um word by word sentence by sentence paragraph by paragraph Ah, the solution to our selfish, self-centered selves. Until next week, this is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder. We'll see you again as we walk through the big book. Bye-bye.
This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>